Maskell being one, the staff member here, they, very few of them wear a mask. Uh, they're saying that it's not in the prison system. We're not probably getting treated around here. Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. We're still taking calls for our coronavirus hotline, and we've been hearing from inmates all across the country. We'll have more of the calls on our website and on next week's show. We encourage you to get the word out to those you know on the inside so they can record a message about the impact of COVID-19 on the facilities they're in. That number is 765-343-6236. An elderly patient at Westville Prison became the first publicly acknowledged case of a prisoner to die of COVID-19 in Indiana. He passed away Monday night. IDOC is refusing to release his name. More than 80 other prisoners in Westville have tested positive. The Miami Herald is reporting that prisoners in Florida are being forced to produce masks for guards and state government staff, while being denied access themselves. They quote a woman whose son is locked up at Blackwater River Correctional Facility near Pensacola, who said this, quote, I think it's ironic that you would make the sick inmates make masks for the guards in a private prison experiencing a coronavirus outbreak. I'm just thankful that at this point, my son is not sick. There are 34 prisoners sick from COVID-19 at Blackwater, a facility run by the for-profit GEO Group. Later in the episode, you'll hear a similar story from a prisoner here in Indiana, where inmates are also being paid low wages to make masks they can't use. There are at least 400 cases of COVID-19 in Chicago's Cook County Jail, the largest carceral facility in the country. In February, a federal judge ordered CCJ to provide adequate soap to prisoners, given a pattern of insufficient sanitation provisions there. Prisoners there have hung banners begging for help and declaring, we matter too. Outside supporters responded on April 7th with a massive car demo, circling the jail with hundreds of cars, honking their horns, playing music, displaying supportive banners, and shooting off fireworks and smoke bombs. Demands included early release given the pandemic. The next week, prisoners in CCJ attempted a rebellion. Two cellmates attacked three guards and were able to take their keys away in order to begin releasing other prisoners from their cells. While in process, they were subdued by another guard armed with a taser. Prisoners in other divisions have launched a hunger strike as well, demanding improved sanitation, more access to release on bond, and quicker processing of their cases, particularly since court functions have ground to a halt due to the coronavirus. For this week's episode, we continue airing messages from prisoners around the country. You can call on behalf of a loved one, or they can call in to record a message at 765-343-6236. This week, we hear from prisoners in Wisconsin, Louisiana, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio about the coronavirus and how it's affecting them and what the government and administration is and is not doing about it. One prisoner in Wisconsin mentions the quote-unquote contingency plan that the guards have joked about, stating, quote, They laughed and said when the virus hits, they'll lock us up in our cells and drag us out when we die. They think this is a joke. Unquote. Please keep calling in and stay safe as much as you can. Greetings, comrades. This is Comrade Malik of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee with my COVID-19 update from behind enemy lines at USP Pollock in Louisiana. Peace and blessings, sisters and brothers. Today 
to how some governors and prison officials are responding to our national call to free our elders. On Thursday, April 9, 2020, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards made a very interesting announcement during his daily COVID-19 briefing. Governor Edwards said that on Tuesday, April 14th, the Louisiana Department of Corrections would begin to evaluate older state prisoners for placement on furloughs or home confinement. Specifically, Governor Edwards said that state prisoners over 60 would be evaluated by a board consisting of members from various law enforcement backgrounds. From the list of these individuals doing the evaluating, not one individual would be considered friendly toward prisoners or their family members. I recommend strongly that we keep a close eye on Louisiana and the state of Texas. I want us to know, I want all of you to know, that Alvaro Luna Hernandez is a long-held, politicized prisoner in Texas. He is an elder who is suffering from hepatitis C. We need to free Alvaro now. Free him. He deserves his freedom. We don't want him to die of COVID-19 or any other disease while he's incarcerated. Free our elders, please. Free Alvaro Luna Hernandez. Both these states, Texas and Louisiana, have long histories of incarcerating a disproportionate number of black and Latinos in their prisons and jails. Sisters and brothers, I want you to think about something for a second. COVID-19 is killing black people in Louisiana and all over the United States at an alarming rate. If prisons and jails in America are jam-packed with blacks, don't you think we should continue to advocate for our people and their release? If we don't advocate for our people, who will? Sisters and brothers, on Friday, April 10th, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards was caught flat-footed when a reporter asked him what the state of Louisiana was going to do to help prisoners at the federal prison in Oakdale, Louisiana. Governor Edwards personally hasn't shown any interest in saving the lives of federal prisoners trapped at SCI Oakdale. The death toll is going up and up at SCI Oakdale. We are hearing that there have been seven to nine deaths and that COVID-19 is just running rampant throughout the SCI Oakdale. Governor Edwards might not care, but I care. And I'm calling Governor Edwards out for his inability to evacuate the prisoners at Oakdale. With all due respect, Governor Edwards, I demand you save the lives of prisoners being ravaged by the COVID-19 epidemic at FCI Oakdale. Get them out of there now. This is Comrade Ali at USP Polar, signing off. Please take care of yourself and stay safe and healthy. I love you all. Goodbye. My name is Ngaza Aman Bahar, uh, known in the state as Jimmy Jones, 8917182. I'm currently housed here at the Miami County Correctional Facility in C Cell House, cell 115. It's been 27 and a half years, and I'm currently set to be released June the 3rd after serving my time. As far as preventing measures, they are absolutely non-existing. You know, when we go to Chow Hall, there are currently, we have to stand really literally holes to elbows in the Chow Hall for anywhere from 150 to 200 feet packed condensed. We are being threatened with disciplinary actions if we choose to follow the CDC guidelines and cover our faces. The guards who get to come and go, leave on a daily basis, coming and going out of here, they're not even allowing, making, allowing them to wear masks.
last week, it was a prisoner on the walk. He was wearing, he was sitting to protect himself from contact as he's walking around amidst a crowd. He was, he was confronted by the officers on the walk, and they literally physically, physically attacked the man, doing down and putting him in, in, in handcuffs because he was trying to protect himself. As far as individuals with the elderly, the elderly and underlying illness, the elderly, I would say, will have to be at least 20 to 30 percent of the population. Elderly, and I'm saying those with preconditioned, pre-existing conditions in the prison with that 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 would have a warrant a serious, serious consideration as far as protection will have to be at least in the 30 or 40 percentile range as far as those who you would require with diabetes, you know, uh, emphysema, all these conditions that 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 warrant special consideration when it comes to corona. And it will be, and as far as us being able to protect ourselves, even as far as us making our own masks, we got there's plenty of supplies with the dish rags that I've actually attempted to show individuals how to make these self masks. But today, as I was on the walk, I was confronted by Lieutenant Bell, who stopped me on the walk and threatened me with disciplinary action if I did not remove the mask from my face. You know, that means if I, if I did not remove this mask and, and subject myself to harm, that would have extended my time in prison. After already doing 26 years in prison, you know, as bad as I want to get out, you know, but I either got either face coming home in two months or face catching corona. It's just vice versa. Those were options that I was given today on the walk. We already know that the, the, the private in, the private industry that that, that 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 allow to exploit the prisoners in here would do their do their industries come in here. They made a big media publicity thing about when they were doing when Governor Hochul was doing this interview. They put Robert uh, Robert uh, Carl on there speaking about how he's going to use the prison industries to convert them over to making these so-called PE equipment or whatever. What they're not telling individuals is, is that they're not donating anything. Anything, or we're not. Prisoners don't have access to those things. They're making that for open to, to, to be able to sell on the open market. That's exactly what they're doing in the minute. They're making that to sell on the open market for people. And the reason why they're doing that because the other products that they make are not sellable now because the global global economy has shut down. So the only thing that they can sell now is these personal equipment things that that got on the, that, that they they quickly switched over to make. So it's all about profit for them. That's because it's a so-called humanitarian thing. Oh, they're being paid at least, made, they're being paid slave wages, anywhere from like 15 cents to $1.30 an hour. Some, you have some who has worked multiple years over there that get paid minimum wage. They hold that minimum wage over their head. You know, you have to be over there for multiple years to earn that minimum wage. But the bulk of those who work in prison industries are paid slave wages. The only type of protection that we have been provided since the so-called break of this outbreak of Corona, we have they have passed out bars of Ocean Breeze soap, 3.5 ounces of Ocean Breeze soap, which active ingredients consist of soap pellets, titanium dioxide for coloring, and scent. There's no antibacteria, no nothing. These are what we're having. This is what they're giving us once a week. And they're telling us wash our hands frequently to protect ourselves against Corona. Daily, the dorm. Well, daily we're supposed to go down there. They got sanitizing equipment, and they give us this uh, green solution that they water down to clean up the unit with or whatever. But they're not mandating that we're 
thoroughly clean the cells. Keep in mind that on the unit that we're on, you'd be lucky there's no officers on the floor or whatever. Mostly at the time, there's an officer in the in the control pod upstairs to monitor both sides of the unit, and the prisoners are from the prisoners are really left to our own devices in these cells. That's why this prison is violent as it is because. There's really there's nothing to monitor. There's no adequate monitor, monitoring of the prison population here at Miami County Correctional Facility. And, and those who have the sanitation jobs, we're, they're not even they're not even mandated or required to actually clean the unit. That's something you choose to do at your own liking. Thankfully, there are those of us amongst amongst the prison population who takes this seriously and to step up and to actually do the cleaning that's required. But this is not mandatory. This is not mandated. You know, we'd be barely lucky we get us out to wash our clothes. And if you get a CO and sometimes they got an attitude like if this is a sergeant, this is Sergeant Hope that worked at the J bracket that he worked this weekend that like to come on and just constantly disrespect us. You know, he barely let us out to wash our clothes and do laundry. You know, if you make him mad, we don't get our clothes washed for the day. I'm currently under the threat of disciplinary action because. Several months ago, they played. I figured there was a plant. They planted an individual in my cell with with a legal cell phone that he was actually caught with, you know. But they let him go home pending his conduct report. And all of a sudden, they actually tried to issue me this conduct report. They tried to violate my due process right and hold a hearing without me there. But I, that I vigorously fought to get overturned. Now I'm pending my rehearing. Pending my rehearing, I'm in this limbo status, which uh, which allowed them to maintain my security level at such a high level, this high level facility instead of where it's supposed to be at a more minimum security facility where I can receive adequate access to reentry services. As I asked them, well, can I have my rehearing? Now they have suspended the disciplinary, the disciplinary uh, rule process. So now I'm in this limbo status where they won't do my hearing, they won't review the video, they keep me in this stale limbo status. Now, I don't know my, so my stay is up in the air, it's fluctuating. I was told as I initiated my hunger strike to protest this violation of my due rights. I was manipulated in believing that there was something that was going to be done by uh, unit manager Smith uh, several days ago, and I made a good faith effort and came off this hunger strike, and but as of today, nothing has been done to resolve this problem. So, as of today, I am no longer eating anything until I receive some type of action regarding my classification to be placed back in a more secure facility. Every day, because of the lack of proper security around here, our prison prisoners are beat up and stabbed. The gangs run the prisons. This is violent. It's violent. This is dangerous, you know, and at any given moment, someone is subject to die around here, you know, and I'm and I am totally in fear of not just corona, but of just being just physically harmed because anything's liable to break out. It's just rampant. I deplore anyone with loved ones, loved ones that incarcerated here at the Miami County Correctional Facility to call and check on your loved ones. We are all here in danger, not only of corona, but just the lack of security and concern for us. You know, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. And please, please, please check up on us, man, because we are human. We are human beings. Just because we are here does not mean that we don't deserve some piece of humanity. 
The following is part of some audio we received, recorded by family members of a prisoner in Plainfield Correctional Facility here in Indiana, who describes being punished and put in a filthy cell when trying to practice social distancing. What happened was, as I was rolling to Central O in a cart, I had all my stuff in a cart. Prisoners were yelling out the window, do not come in here, man. Don't come in here. Just sick people in here. Okay, so I, I got upset about it, you know, but I didn't do anything. I didn't put my hands on anybody or anything. I just refused to move into that unit. And so by refusing, they put me in a lockup. They had me in a cage where it was blood and vomit in the cage for six hours. And then when I went to K-1-8 up, when they moved me into the cell, they moved me into the cell with one of my mental patients that also refused to move. Okay. And the cell's completely dirty. Didn't give us any chemicals to clean up or anything. I have the same clothes on, boxes on, since Monday. I'm finally in a position to take a shower now. Okay. All of a sudden, they moved me out today, and the three of us out today, and left one down there. They're doing the mental health guys here really bad. They uprooted them out of the mental health unit just to have cells to quarantine people with symptoms. When there's other cells that they could have taken where people are idle, that's not doing anything, there's not any, any programs, they could have took those cells. Or they could have kept the cells where the outbreak started at and just quarantined that. No, they didn't do that. They uprooted the mental health unit which had no symptoms at all. Now they got symptoms down there. Cause they move people in there who have symptoms. They moved four people out of here today where I'm at now that has symptoms. If they would have left us alone, we probably would have been the only unit that didn't have symptoms. My name is David Hoosman. I'm at Stanley Correctional. They're, they're starting to hand out masks to some of the surgery workers here. It's optional to wear them. Uh, the staff has the option to wear masks too. They opt not to wear them. There's one social worker in the entire facility that has enough respect for us to wear a mask. The social distancing, they've taken away all of our recreational activities. We're allowed to walk on a track or running track for 20 minutes a day. However, we're forced to sit in day rooms within a foot of each other all day long, all over the courtyard, eight people at a picnic table. You're, you're, you're literally touching the guy next to you. There is no social distancing here. There's five people in quarantine right now. I think, I think there's five cases now that are, that are recorded in the prison system. It's only a matter of time before it comes here a little bit further. There's so many people at risk in here. Some of us, I, I, I'm a minimum community custody inmates stuck in a medium maximum security facility because the movement's been stopped. I can't work in any of my legal cases because I can't have legal visits, I can't have legal phone calls. Our constitutional rights are being violated every day. My, my prison sentence, which is three years, has been 
much in the last nine months. I have chronic asthma. I have a restaurant here. I'm on meds for allergies. They don't seem to care about any of this. Mr. Carr, the DOC secretary, says that they're doing the best they can. Minnesota's set to release inmates next week. It's on the news. Why, why are we not getting any news coverage? The only thing anybody seems to care about is an election. Money, power. Nobody cares about our lives. Since, since when did these not matter? I didn't kill anybody. I didn't have a death sentence. I'm a good person that made a bad choice. I don't, I don't understand why nobody's fighting for us. Why, why nobody's giving us a voice. Uh, the other condition, uh, along, along with the overcrowding, is the contingency plan that they have. Any garden here laughs about their contingency plan when the virus finally does hit to lock us in ourselves and drag us out as we die. They think this is a joke. I see no humor in this. My family sees no humor in this. I don't understand where the, where the indifference comes from. We need help. We need somebody to hear us. Uh, as far as the issues here, in fact, we just went through a lockdown that lasted almost two days. They denied us uh, basics such as uh, soap, access to cleaning supplies, they did not allow us to shower. Uh, we were receiving bag lunches, uh, which one can imagine are not the most nutritious, uh, basically bologna sandwich cheese, <laughs> some potato chips, and uh, a juice. And then that lockdown lasted basically, like I said, almost two days. It's, it's been, like one can imagine, it's been very difficult. No masks are being used by staff, no gloves, uh, even when they're handing out mail or having us uh, interact with them. I think the the most basic message that can be uh, given to the general public, you know, especially across the nation, more specifically here in Wisconsin, is that at the end of the day, we're all Wisconsin citizens. We're all citizens of this country. Uh, here at this institution, 70% uh, of the population are uh, what are called uh, classified as uh, minimum custody offenders. These are individuals that have no violent cases, uh, minor drug infractions, OWDUI type cases, uh, if you can believe it, uh, child support cases where people have been locked up for years, uh, and individuals that are actually uh, already ready to go back out in the community with no violent history or past whatsoever. Nobody here has signed up or has been adjudicated with a death sentence. In fact, in Wisconsin, the death penalty doesn't exist. There's a reality here. We have a new governor who clearly has been intimidated by the Republicans in office, controlling both legislative bodies, but the governor could stand on his own and, and initiate an executive order and get things handled and get prison population reduced by simply taking people out 24 months or less, nonviolent crimes, sending us home to our families and allowing us to get through this situation with our families and loved ones. Our report is on maximum security prison in Toledo, Ohio, correctional facilities. As of right now, we're uh, in solitary confinement, and uh, the coronavirus has started to spread throughout the prison. They got uh, two prisoners in the infirmary right now. One is doing good, the other one is doing awful. And they're not making no attempts to transfer them to the outside hospital. They just got them up there sitting in the hospital infirmary, which I'm just waiting to, you know, waiting for the coronavirus to spread to the nurses, doctors, and correctional officers, who are eventually going to end up spreading it to other inmates. Our old Sergeant D.O.E., he got infected, uh, and two other officers.
officer is a correctional officer named Franklin. And um, I'm not sure who was the third officer. That was as of last week. And we went on lockdown, I think, uh, March. Think it was April the 3rd. Yeah, April the 3rd. We had went on lockdown, but it's still a little bit of movement going on. The governor released uh, 105 people yesterday. And, uh, but there, the governor is only saying they're only releasing prisoners for 90 days or less. And uh, in some cases, pregnant women. Um, the week before that, a couple weeks before that, they released 200 prisoners. Um, and they've been releasing some from the county jail, pregnant women, older, older uh, prisoners over the age of 60, and non-violent offenders. They're pretty much just, they're not uh, addressing all uh, prisoners. They, prisoners are doing more than 90 days, pretty much stuck in here. And now we have more updated and detailed information about the ongoing situation in Stateville. We shared the letter on our website last week and now share additional information and updates we've received about the dire circumstances Illinois prisoners face at Stateville. The crisis in Illinois prisons continues to grow. Logan Correctional, a women's prison, has provided protective equipment to staff, but not to prisoners. Stateville, outside of Joliet, has a rising death toll as prisoners especially the elderly, are left to sicken and die in their cells. Leon Hollis died while still held at the prison. Joseph Wilson, who was well known for his participation in poetry and art programs inside, was taken to the emergency room where he died. Larry Bourbon was taken to the prison infirmary and then sent back to his cell where he died mid-morning. Another prisoner shared this unsettling account. Last night they took him to the health care unit, which sent him back to his cell. This morning, his cellie kept asking the lieutenant to have someone come to get him, as he wasn't doing well. But by the time they arrived, after a long, arbitrary delay, he was already dead. By 12.30 p.m., they still had not removed his body from the cell or the cell house, even though it was well over 80 degrees in here, due to them having the heat on it being 60 degrees outside and staff refusing to open the windows. After 50 to 100 guys began screaming for them to get his body out of the cell, finally at 1 p.m., six medical staff came and placed the man's body in what appeared to be a white medical bag or sheet and wheeled him out of the building. The guards went in and got the dead man's property and bedding and then handed out food trays without changing their gloves. The incarcerated workers have to stand on the staff to try to get them to clean the cells. Dr. Izike, the other day in the news, claimed that all COVID patients were placed in one building. I had noted to reporters that this could not be true due to the simple fact that they are not testing people for COVID-19 before moving them out of that building to other cell houses or moving people from the other cell houses to that building. Rather, they were largely going off the seeming severity of symptoms. The staff said they were taking Flacco, a friend of Joe's, to F House. But F House was condemned and cannibalized for parts. Yesterday, they came around with hand sanitizer and squoze some in our hands. They said they were going to bring some before each meal. But then they didn't bring it the next meal. This has no value in actually allowing us to have protection. Stop denying video visits. Put the phone and video visits on the tablets. Allow us to shop each week. Yard. Test everyone. If guys already haven't and are now recovering and want to go out, let them have yard. The current cell extractions and moves make no sense. One prisoner has been fired from the prison kitchen after allegedly stealing bleach and soap. Prisoners have no access to these supplies and need to acquire them illegally in order to, for example, clean the video visitation phone receivers between visits. At least 12 prisoners have been sent to hospitals, with several on ventilators. 
The Illinois Department of Corrections admits that at least 90 prisoners have tested positive, in addition to 24 staff. Prisoners, with the help of outside supporters and lawyers, are demanding consistent access to personal protective equipment, sanitation supplies, and outside oversight of the DOC, given its disregard for prisoners' lives through the first phase of the pandemic. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.